Hello again and welcome to the All Saints podcast. We've got some great guests with us this time. Um, guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? Yeah, hi, I'm Fraser. I'm part of the All Saints Worcester staff team uh, and Alden and present training um, at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford and also based at All Saints as well. So best of both worlds. Due to be ordained in summer and continuing my curacy with the All Saints family. Um, so, yeah, it's good to be here and to be with you all. And I'm Ruth Holmes. Um, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm an ordinand with Fraser at Wycliffe Hall, so I get to see that bit of his life. Um, and I live here and worship in a church here in Oxford as well. And I've just completed um, a master's in applied theology, and I looked particularly about um, questions around hope um, and people living with chronic conditions. Um, and before I was training um, for ministry, um, I worked in the NHS um, for about eight years, um, particularly um, in research um, and governance around research. So I was exposed to lots of different, um, really interesting things that people live with um, every day of their lives that we wouldn't necessarily know about normally. We're so excited to talk about in a minute, yeah, that in a minute. And we've got um, the living legend that is Brian Mason with us as well. Brian, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, I've been part of the All Saints family for perhaps uh, seven years now. Um, I'm very much involved uh, in um, BCC um, and to, to some extent in uh, the kind of leadership situation with my wife. We, we lead uh, a life group, uh, but in a previous life, um, then I, I taught for 30 years as a teacher um, and then spent some time in sports ministry, working with uh, Christians in sport here in the UK church sports and recreation ministers in the states um, and then then pioneered a church resource called higher sports which um, as i came down to worcester i, I passed on to uh, to script union sports uh, so that's me and you're also an author aren't you brian with a couple of books do you want to just mention their titles give them a plug at the start Okay, now I've written three books, one, one called Into the Stadium, uh, and then another Beyond the Gold, which was just in preparation for the London Olympics, and then just in this last year um, called Maintaining Pace, just looking at all the different aspects of life and all the challenges that, uh, that come with each chapter. It's great to have you all with us and I'm looking forward to hearing so much about all your different um, expertise as we go through this hour or so, um, chatting about this body module that we've been hearing about at All Saints with our five different, it's been a bit of a mammoth module, five different topics um, that we've been covering, everything from desire to taming the tongue to health and disability to looking at technology and how we use that and holding um and also this whole LLF um, uh, talk at the end. So um, how did you find it um, tuning in each week? Um, how have you found the series, everyone? Well, I think, I think with, each, with each week, there was uh, a kind of fresh, a fresh touch. Um, and I think uh, quite a lovely symmetry as we kind of, we moved from, from desire to, to then just how we handle our words. Um, Laura actually took us to, a, to a, a table and who would we want at our table and the fact that we're always welcome at Jesus' table. 
And then Rich got us all confused as we hit the technology area. And I thought we were just recovering before we suddenly hit human sexuality, which I think we're probably still trying to recover from in a measure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I think similarly, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been really informative, um, but really challenging, I think, in equal measure. Um, it's incredible, really, I think, how, how much our bodies and our physical, the physical side of ourselves um, plays a part in our faith. You know, it's often, we, we often associate religion and faith with this kind of spirituality, this disassociation from our bodies. But, you know, I think it's, it's helpful to draw it back to the sort of the tangible, the, the physical and what that means for us. It, it poses so much in terms of challenges, but there's also the, the joy there of how we use our bodies as well, um, which hope, you know, hoping to come upon some of that kind of tension when we chat through some of Brian's stuff, because he's obviously a passionate man when it comes to sport, which is, you know, one of the many ways we can joyfully and expressively use our bodies. Um, so we'll hopefully chat about that a little bit later. And Ruth, you even managed to tune in to a couple of talks and do your homework. Um, which ones did you manage to have a look at? Yeah, so I listened in on the um, Health and Disability Week um, and on the TechWise Week as well. Um, and it's just great hearing kind of body taken seriously in church, I think. Like Fraser said, we often sort of forget the role our bodies play. Um, and it was particularly encouraging for me to hear the, the, real, the reality of, like, of life. Um, in those talks as well, not just sort of, like Fred said, yeah, not separating out, separating out our bodies is something we don't think about, but actually being really real um, of the kind of ups and downs that we live with. I think that's great and so important to be talking about in church. Why do you think that we do have this sort of like disconnection as Christians between our spirituality and our bodies? Do you think that's a relatively new thing or I don't know? It's a good point. I think sometimes we... We operate from outside in, Phil, instead of inside out. Um, okay. I, I can think in, in the first half of, I mean, <laughs> I've taken a big bite out of my fourth quartile in life now, but but in, in the first half of life, when I look back, it seems as if I had that many balls in the air that, that they were forever coming down and bouncing off my head. And instead of, as I took on a new task, taking one off from the bottom, then the task list just, just got, got more and more. And so I was very much an activist. And I think one of the things when, when you get a little older, and certainly as you, as you go, and uh, you three haven't got there yet, but as you go into the second half of life, then I think you appreciate a bit more um, the, the intimacy and the closeness with God. And that enables you then to prioritize your activity. So probably about 10 years ago, when, when I climbed Mount Sinai and, and wandered across the Sinai Desert with some pilgrims, um, then I, I think that was the birth of Brian Mason as a, as a contemplative activist. So I think whereas before I was an activist with the odd bit of contemplation. Um, and so for me, that's, that's been something of the, of the mix just Having, and, and I think Owen touched on that in the very first body talk when he talked about um, our desire shaping our lives and asked us where our centre was. Mm. I think that is a question we always need to ask ourselves. That, that how, are we, how are we deep down? Because that is going to influence 
what we're like on on the outside. Wow. Yeah, tell us more about Sinai and that trip that you went on. That sounds amazing. <laughs> well, maybe about 40 years ago, I, I read a book by an American author called Jamie Buckingham, and it was called In, Into the Wilderness. And, uh, and he took a party up Sinai and then walked across, followed the steps of Moses to the Red Sea and uh, just just commented on, on all that God had spoken to him about as he took those various steps. And I felt like writing to him and saying, could you take a Brit next time? Because they were all Yanks that, that went on, on these trips. Anyway, I never got round to it. And then 10 years ago, and I don't know where it came from, but a, a slip, probably it was a Christian magazine, and there was the opportunity to raise money for a, for a hotel in uh, northern Malawi that, that sent people out into the bush for folks with, with AIDS, HIV problems. And it was to raise money for them. But by doing that, you, then you, you climb Sinai and, and you walk to the desert. And quite honestly, just, just each night, just taking your mattress out onto the desert floor and looking up at the, at the Milky Way and and Venus and shooting stars. Uh, it was just, I, it was a destiny moment for me in, in many ways. And so I think as, as night follows day now, uh, I'm, I'm just a little more conscious of my inner core. <laughs> well, keeping an eye on the outer bit as well. But uh, The outer yeah. bit's not so bad, is it, Brian? For those that don't know, um, Brian is famous for many things, but we had, um, for those that know, the plank, the exercise where you get down on the floor on all fours and you've got to kind of hold yourself still and stable. It engages your core and it's, it's quite quite tough if you haven't tried it. So we had a little competition across All Saints, didn't we? And there was quite a few people got recorded and timed to see how long they could do a plank. And who won, Brian? Can you remember who won that? Well, all I know is that the justification for it was a Bible verse. I think that's that's how it managed to, to creep onto the morning programme. But uh... I just happened to turn up for church one morning and suddenly I was ramroaded into going over into a corner and uh, and getting into the prone position. Yeah, you did it for about seven minutes or something, didn't you? Don't exaggerate. Wow. Seven minutes. Amazing. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was five. Now, you mentioned a few times there, Brian, a phrase I think I've only really heard you use. I'm sure it bands around in different places, but um, the, the first half of life and the second half of life um, now, your book, Maintaining Pace, which came out um, last year. Yep. Um, I had a had a read. Uh, I've had a read of that. Um, I liked it. I loved it. I think there's a, there's a, a couple of things that jumped out at me. I thought maybe we could we could chat about. Um, so you you talk about um, first half, second half, and extra time. So what what do you mean by those sorts of phrases? Well, yeah, I mean, if you take that to the logical conclusion, I think I've reached the, the point now where it's, it's the penalty shootout. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think it's, it's, it's not a bad idea to just see um, how the stage you're at in, in your life, how that accords with, with your relationships, with your responsibilities, um, you know, with the things that you, that you have to do. Um, and I think whatever whatever point you you get to, I think you you always need to to ask yourself the same 
question, kind of where am I? Where do I want to be? Um, is there a new route? And, and how can I get there? And so whether you, you're coming up to half time, and for me, half time was, was kind of late 40s. I'd been teaching for, for 30 years. Um, and I thought, I thought I'd go through to 65 as it was then. It's a little more now. And I thought they'd be carrying me out of the classroom, kicking and screaming, asking for an extra five years because I was at a great school and loved it. Um, and then suddenly God intervened and, and lined up the ducks in a remarkable way. So for my wife, Judith and I, it just became more than obvious just to, to step out of teaching. Um, but that happened over an 18 month period. It was almost as if, if we keep the, the kind of sports analogy going, it was almost as if the first half was over. I was a bit exhausted. The whistle went for half time. I went into the changing room. I was given a cup of tea and to sit down and, and coach Jesus said, listen up. <laughs> and, and then just, just explained how we were going to play the second half. You know, we made a few mistakes in the first half. There was a chance to rectify it in a measure. But you can do that in the first half of life. You can do that. But then uh, at half time, it's just a question sometimes of being quiet, sitting down and listening to what, what Jesus had to say. And then, I, so then I came out of the changing room really into full-time sports ministry with, with Christians in sport. Um, and, then, and then as I reached, um, in many ways, the, the end of the second half, and when you do extra time, so 70. Um, so that period has been again, quite different. Um, so when I, when I get hold of something like Genesis 12, and, and we find Abraham at 75, setting off for a whole new adventure. Well, the best is yet to come. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's really good. Uh, one, one Bible verse that's stuck with me. And I think actually this, this past year, uh, I think has made this Bible verse probably more poignant, more relevant i think which is psalm 90 verse 12 which says teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom um, and i thought as i was reading through some of your book th this verse kept coming back to me a little bit you know the, the wisdom that is found and as christians in valuing our sort of uh, mortality really our how temporary we are as as living creatures and how we don't ultimately know when the halftime whistle might blow or even you know when the full-time whistle might blow um you know and it, it just made me think about um I, and I suppose I'll put this as a question to you Brian why do you think it is important if you, you're, you're like you said earlier we're in our first half of life um you're in uh, penalty shootouts uh, what advice would you give to you know people who are younger than yourself, really, as, as to the importance and the value of taking stock of the stage of life we find ourselves in and, and maintaining that sort of awareness as we journey through life? I remember um, I was a PE student at, uh, at Loughborough, and uh, I remember one day my athletics coach, we were about to, to run the 400, which was never a, a pleasant race in a way because... Uh, it was, it, 
it was meant to be a sprint, but it wasn't really. You couldn't afford to sprint all, all the way round. You've got to be very careful how you arranged your race. And it's a bit like life in a way. You can go off too fast and, and you can blow up by the first corner. <laughs> um, but there's a, need to, there's a need to pace yourself in many ways. And the phrase I always remember him saying was, the winner of a 400 metres race, although it was 400 yards then, no, it was 440 yards. The winner of, of the quarter mile, really, is the one that slows down the least. And, and I think the older you get, the more you begin to realise that with God, it's moment by moment. You know that forget yesterday's regrets, they've gone. Don't waste your day thinking of tomorrow's problems. Just... Just enjoy each moment and all that God wants to, to put into your life. There's a lovely verse in um, 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says, it says, we do not lose heart. Our outer self, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And I think whatever stage you're at, then, then physically, you just you lose a little bit year on year. <laughs> I think after 50, if you're not careful with your upper body, because muscle can deteriorate at quite a rate uh, when you get to that halfway stage. Uh, people tend to think that as long as I go for a run or a walk um, and, and help the cardiovascular situation, which is good and important, but they often forget about the muscular side. So it's just being able to, to balance those things. And it's just, it's little and often. It's like, uh, it's like your time in the Bible. Little and often, really. Mm. So that's that's forward. what we've got there, friends. Is that's the secret to the seven-minute plank? <laughs> <Isn't it>? uh, <laughs> so you've heard it. You've heard it here. Uh, but um, I think what you said there, that the quote from um, Corinthians, two Corinthians. Um, I had a similar verse in mind from Psalm. 73 verse 26 which says uh, probably quite a, a familiar verse for many people uh, my flesh and my heart may fail but god is the strength of my heart and my portion forever um and i, I suppose tying into what you were, were saying there and we had some of this in laura's talk which was brilliant um for those that haven't listened to that have a listen to laura's talk which was all to do with um health and disability um, but all, you know, she was encouraging us all to, you know, appreciate the fact that life has its ups and downs. There's some that experience disabilities and difficulties and hardships in, in terms of physical, mental health more than others, perhaps. But we all have this kind of trajectory of deterioration somehow. You know, Brian talked about muscle wastage and that kind of thing. But as we as we get older, um, there's the aging process and there's also the the ailments and illnesses that we encounter in our lives as we journey through life as well um and it made me think really the psalmist here say my my flesh and my heart may fail they will will fail ultimately um death is something that we all um can't escape i suppose but but god is the strength of my heart and my portion forever um, and I'm hoping this will tie into a little bit of what Ruth's going to talk about soon in terms of, you know, your thesis, because you touched on this, didn't you, Ruth? Um, 
but the, the fact that there's this kind of eternal promise, this portion forever, that's something beyond, you know, our bodies, our minds, you know, what, what we have here physically in, in this world. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to, to Ruth telling us a little bit more about that. Uh, but before we jump a, any further, I thought I'd ask Brian another question. Um, and again, you're in this later stage of life and you've perhaps experienced a little bit more of this kind of aging um, process than we have, hopefully. Um, but do you think the aging process, getting older, is, is it something to fear? Um, is it something to rejoice in? And how does that connect in with your faith in Jesus? Well, I mean, I work on the principle that the best is yet to come. Um, and so the, there's a sense in which I think just coming to each staging post, it's almost um, having a reboot situa situation with, with God. Um, and saying, look, Lord, here we are now. This this is a this is another stage. Um, the the last one was was great. I mean, one of the things that I that I started doing at fifty, um, maybe it was because I might have had a little bit more more time. I I always started school in September, thinking I was going to finish off all the jobs that I was halfway through in the summer. But once the bell went on the first day, that was it until Christmas. Um, so you you just felt you were you were, you were meeting yourself um, coming back. Um, but the, I mean, I think the point that I that I I got to was just thinking: How can I record what God's doing for me and what God is doing with me? Um, and uh, Gordon MacDonald, who was a remarkable author. Um, latest book I got hold of was one that's called a resilient life which is which is terrific and he actually he actually looks at um, at every every aspect of the aging process so wherever you're at he's, he's got something good good to say um, and and he talks about journaling and he said there are times when you just need to not every day um, not be a dear diary type but nevertheless, when you meet specific people, when you hear a destiny word, where you suddenly are lying on the desert floor in the Sinai and you look up and you see a shooting star, you wake up the next day and the sun rises and you just happen to open your Bible, you just happen and it, and it, and it comes out at the Psalm that says, you know, that, that all creation gives glory to God and so it, you need to write it down because I've got to the age now uh, at both the sevens where I say to Judith I must just talk in short sentences my dear because the longer I go on then I forget how I've started so I tell her to listen carefully because she might need to be finishing sentences off for me more often than not because when you get to my age there are things in the past where God has, has brought you to certain points or some people said something very significant in your life or I've got written down some remarkable prophetic words from, from people that, that have changed our lives and our direction. And so I'm on to my 10th, this is a lead up, I'm sorry, I've gone on a bit here, but I'm on to my 10th journal, basically. Um, and what I can do now is suddenly if something occurs to me and I'm, I, 
think of a person and I haven't thought of for some time, let's pray for them. And I think, when was the last time I spoke to them? And so I go back to maybe 1997 and, and just read some of the things that happened there and what God said and what people said. Um, so I, th I think whatever stage of life you're at, that would be a big recommendation for me mm. to become a journaler. Mm. Neil, Ruth, do you, do you journal? I do, yeah. yeah. I do. I, yeah, I started as a student. And I think in that, um, well, you're often really excited about your faith, aren't you? So in a very youthful, um, exuberant time of life. And actually, I found it harder to keep that going as I've kind of got a bit older. Mm. Um but yeah, it's a really good reminder to keep seeing what God's doing. Hmm. Yeah. I, I gave it a go and I was hopeless at it. So <laughs> I ditched that. I, I find like, I don't know about you guys, but actually holding sort of objects. So I've got a memory box with like a whole load of objects in them. I find that is, is brilliant for that. It makes me think, but yeah, journaling, not my thing. <laughs> I attempted it. I don't know. Brian, Brian's, you know, there's a bit of conviction there and maybe I'll, I'll give it a, another try and see how it goes because hearing those stories of those old prophetic words that you're, you know, being able to take joy in is just, that's amazing. And, you know, I'd love to be sort of in extra time penalty shootout wherever and be able to just look back and think, Oh God, you did that and that and that. And, I suppose that is the real treasure of growing old. Um, it's just that you have so much more resource when it comes to just what God's done in your life. Um, yeah, I think it's great. And that's something definitely, um, I believe, um, the older sort of generation that people in that later half can so provide um, for people going through the first half, particularly um you know, it's, it's just that sense that God God is uh, our secure foundation and that he, he will bring us through these really tough things. And it might be that whole thing of injury or disability, um, you know, mentally or physically um, that can, you know, it, it could be that voice, that older voice that just brings us through that um, or brings someone through that. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done journals in the past. I'm probably not as dedicated as Brian, but uh, I do, I do keep them as well, and I think there's there's real value in you know when you're moving house or clearing out, you know the the second bedroom, and you stumble across these box of um, journals that you know you wrote ten years ago, and you flick through you know and have a little uh, reminisce. Um, but it, it there's something that isn't there in the moment when you write something down. You know that in that moment that is your reality. That's your lens through which you feel and see and you kind of pouring yourself out in that moment on the page um, and obviously as we journey through life we change we we experience more we mature um, and it's, it's so amazing thinking you can pick up a, a book and there's kind of you 10 years ago you know your thoughts and feelings and experiences and you can yeah you can kind of track where you've been and what you've done and uh, it's often stuff to rejoice for you know oh I forgot that I prayed for all that and you know God came through there and um, yeah, I think I might. I've been re-inspired to uh, to delve back into my journals. Mm. Um, it's an excuse to go out and buy a no nice notebook. I think that's it. <laughs> um, so I, I was just going to ask Brian your involvement in Christians in sport. You're a very sporty guy. Um, bringing it back round to the sort of the body theme, um, 
sport is something we can all, you know, a lot of people have passion for sport, you know, whether it's football or hockey or whatever it might be, athletics, you know, there's, there's all sorts of different variations of how we can use our bodies in active ways. And often you know, sports and competitions are a brilliant way to, to express that. Um, and you've got, you know, this involvement in a unique connection between Christian faith and sport. You know, what does, um, what does that mean to you? What does that look like? You know, why is sport such a brilliant and relevant thing to the Christian faith? I think one of the things that I used to say to, to churches, because my role with Christians in sport was to, to travel around the country and for churches that, that were showing this interest in sports ministry, was just to go and help them out, perhaps, perhaps run a weekend for them with different age groups, uh, not only with youngsters, but, but with, um, yeah, with, with folks of, of all age into kind of retirement. Um, and it was to try and, and teach them that, that, again, here's the sporting term, that the church is, is, thinks that it can play at home, um, and usually when you play at home, you, you've got a better chance of winning than, than when you play away because you've got a home crowd. So they think they can play at home and be pretty certain of three points. Um, but really the, the church, and, and we're finding this now with COVID, it's got to learn to play away. It's got to learn to play away. I mean, what, what happens with, with football teams is that when they play away, they change their shirt. Um, and that's not compromise, but, but what it means is when you play away and you go onto the churches, on the, onto the, to the world's playing fields, then you, you merge with them, but you bring a little bit of heaven with you. Um, because right from Genesis 1, where, where God talks of, of team, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right from the word go, he talks of creativity, Day after day, it was good, it was good, it was good. And those two are really big as far as sports concerned. I mean, if, if I was playing for a team for the first time, and that's happened as I've kind of as we moved around and I've suddenly signed up with a rugby side. And so I've turned up for the first time for the first game and I wandered into the changing room and I put my bag on, on the seat and my coat on, on the hanger. And I've looked around and I've introduced myself and shaken hands and what have you. We've, we've all got the same colour shirt on and, and out we go. So I, I've not known anybody. But 90 minutes later or 80 minutes later, it's as if we've been family for a long time. Reason? We've all been going to the same try line. Um, and, and so sport and music's the same, Phil. That, that sport and music are the biggest conduit you could possibly have for sharing Jesus. It's where people are. It's where people long to be. It's where they feel at ease. Um, and so for me, it's just been that explosive cocktail. I became a Christian at 19 as a, as a PE student. Um, and so right from the word go, there I was at a sport. I mean, Loughborough in the last three years has been voted the best uh, sports university in the world. So there I was on that kind of campus um, and not only loving sport, but suddenly finding I was loving Jesus and putting those two together. And that was 1963. So you can do the maths on that. Oh, I definitely relate to 
Sorry, Ruth, did I cut you off then? I was just said that's a great story. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I was just going to say, uh, I definitely know sport is where the heart is. When, um, you know, Alison Becker knocked his goal in the end of this season. As a Liverpool fan, I was off on, you know, off the couch. That was um, a real moment. So I relate. I, do, I think it's so true. Like, we do need to learn as a church to uh, play away, as you say. And what a great example sport is. Um, of teamwork and you know going towards a shared objective I think that's that's brilliant you've got to mourn with those who mourn too haven't you my family are um over Dudley Way and support West Bromwich Albion so I don't know if there are any baggies over in Worcester but it's definitely not been um not been quite as much celebrating going on (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ruth yeah let's chat about your um thesis I, I was really I mean you sent me uh, the copy of it and it's um, you know I thought well uh, this is some good stuff here but I, I, it's interesting isn't it that it's rooted in your um, experience with the NHS and some of your some of your background there I just wondered if um, why don't you just I mean let me the, the, the title is I mean and this is you know this I suppose captures it exploring individuals living with chronic conditions within charismatic evangelical churches in England. Mm-hmm. That sounds intriguing. That sounds good. Um, what inspired you to um, delve into a subject like this? Yeah, so I guess two things. So one, walking with a friend over about 10 years as she <coughs> developed chronic pain. Um, so um, for various reasons that kind of started happening um, and seeing her journey with in faith um, within, she would say she has a deep charismatic formation, I think is the term she'd use of, you know, a really charismatic faith, expecting God to heal, expecting God to be at work and being active and then wrestling with this kind of chronic condition that progressed. And then, yeah, working alongside lots of people. um, So first people living with cancer and the late effects of cancer treatment. So lots of us, I didn't realize until I worked for Macmillan that you can survive cancer, but be left with all sorts of um, consequences of having chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Mm. Um, And then did some work with the mental health trust, again, working really closely with individuals who live with long-term mental health illnesses. Um, And then again, in some other kind of really interesting um, bits of research and just seeing the sorts of conditions people live with. And often in all of those cases, they're things that, don't easily fit into labels like disability or ability and don't aren't often visible and I think for me that um so seeing this friend's journey and then thinking about all those other things I've been exposed to it was really interesting to me to think actually how in church do we accommodate people and raise up leaders um, who have maybe live with ongoing health conditions but also how do we offer pastoral care um and particularly thinking about prayer ministry and kind of going back to that, thinking about healing particularly and, and how do we pray for our bodies? How do our bodies inform our faith? How do our bodies help us um, love Jesus more? How do they help us engage with God? Um, I had all those kind of questions. It's a really, really interesting subject, isn't it? I, I mean, I grew up in charismatic Pentecostal tradition Um and yeah, the, the sh- shared expectation is that God can heal, God will heal, um, God should heal. Um, and, you know, you would always leap into prayer if somebody came with a, an obvious ailment, an obvious disability. People would be straight yeah. in there praying for, 
healing for people to stand up out of wheelchairs, you know, those kind of big healing moments in people's lives. Um, so I, I suppose the question to the group, uh, to you, Ruth, um, do we need to correct that? Is there some sort of um, error within that? Have we got our theology a little bit wrong? Um, should we always pray for healing uh, or should we approach this from a different angle? I think what I discovered, so interviewing um, for women, all women actually in the end, um, who live with chronic conditions, was to really understand actually how painful that can be for people. Um, so there was one, I you know, heard one story of someone in a wheelchair who, you know, could kind of like clockwork know exactly, particularly at conferences, because we all get excited and we're seeing God at work. And if you're the person who actually, you know, you show a, some sign of pain in your body, and then everybody comes and asks to pray for you over and over and over again. You may believe in prayer for healing. You may have experienced God's healing at, at points, but for that to be the thing that people are mm-hmm. only thing people are interested in mm-hmm. can be really painful. So I think the biggest challenge for me was was is that all that we offer in church? Um, so don't, not that we shouldn't offer it, but maybe it's not the first thing we should be offering. Um, and actually, we need to be listening to people's stories, asking people what they want, hearing their testimonies of how how has God been at work in this situation that you've lived with for often many years. Um, People are experts in their own bodies often. And if you live with with suffering of some kind, you've probably spent a lot of time thinking about your body and managing your body and managing your pain. Um, So actually really like listening and and finding out what people want God to do for them. And of course, that's what Jesus often asks in the gospels is, what would you like me to do for you? Um, mm-hmm. So I think for me, that's, that would be kind of one answer to that question is, is maybe we've, maybe it's not that we should never pray for healing. I don't think it is, but, but is, is there more, is there more we can be asking for? And are, and are we listening before we jump in with, with our expectations? Really, really, really helpful. Um, yeah, we, we, we could really learn, I think, from that, can we? Um, particularly within the charismatic church as to how we um, can often bombard people with our own expectations and come with our own agendas and what we hope and believe God can do. Um, so that's, that's really, really helpful, Ruth. Um, I noticed one line in your paper which talked about um, I'll just I'll just quote if that's okay. It says in this paper I have argued that more attention to eschatology leads to a more appropriate pastor at least to more appropriate pastoral care, not least for those living with chronic conditions. And then you talk about the now and not yet of the of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Could you just unpack that a little bit? Put it in sort of simple terms for us. Some big words in there: eschatology, some other bits. Could you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, so eschatology is essentially the, the study of the last things. Um, so what, what happens when and after we die? Um, and what I, I guess in these conversations I was having um, with people living with chronic conditions and reflecting on my own experience, um, I guess this thought came to mind of, is it something to do with, with what we think is gonna happen in new creation, as we usually call it, um, in when the, the kingdom of God is fully here um, does that link to the way that we pray for people and, and our expectation for now, what we hope for now? 
Um, and generally, we talk about the now and not yet of, kingdom of, of the kingdom of God. So we say, well, the kingdom is available now. We can pray for God to be at work. We do see God at work. But also, actually, there's a not yet. There's, there's something we're waiting for, which is the fullness of that kingdom. Um, and in lots of the churches that um, we're all part of, we, in theory, we hold that intention. So we say, well, it's the now and the not yet. You know, we know that not everyone gets healed every time we pray. And in theory, we hold them together. Um, but what I want, what I kind of wonder and what seems to have happened around the women I interviewed is that actually we, we sort of expect now and we feel a bit entitled to now, actually. Um, and the not yet becomes like a platitude. It's like our sticky plaster that we kind of stick over it when the now doesn't happen to make us feel better and as a bit of comfort. Um, and, I get, and I guess my kind of conclusions were that maybe actually that not yet bit is really, really important. And maybe we don't spend enough time thinking about it because if we don't acknowledge the not yet, then what is it that we're hoping for eventually? You know, what, and actually acknowledging that not yet and seeing that actually things are not as they should be. Sometimes life is really hard. Like we can't do everything. We are limited human beings. Um, we do age as we were talking about earlier, you know, we do get older. We're all going to have to wrestle with our, our body slowing down. Maybe feeling our body lets us down at various points. Um, but actually that can spur us towards hoping in God and actually maybe widen our expectations of what is gonna, God is going to do in our lives as well. Um, so a great um, kind of anecdote for one of my interviews with um, one of the participants, kind of we were talking about this and healing and she said, well, actually one of the miracles in her life has been that her patience has grown a huge amount. And, you know, she talked about actually finding herself much more patient with her husband. Um, and she would see that as a result of prayer, as, as a part of a healing of her character in some way. But that's not really a testimony someone wants to hear at the front of church. They want to hear, maybe they want to hear a testimony of physical healing. But actually the, the growth in patience might be just as miraculous and is also a work of God. Um, so that's a bit of, I don't think that, that, hopefully that's answered your question a bit, but I guess, yeah, it's, it's really widening what we expect God to do as well, which I think is really exciting and, um, yeah, but also challenging for us to, to not kind of put on God our own expectations, but actually to be truly open to what, what God wants to do. It just really reminded me of, um, you know, the story of Jacob wrestling God and, you know, the whole hip thing and how just that must have served as such a reminder for him as he went through his life of that time of real encounter and actually that that physical um, issue was something that God really worked through. And I think it's it's quite easy to sort of um, throw all of these um disabilities um into this box that of negativity when actually there's so many amazing things that um these incredible people add to the church and um I, I was thinking about laura's talk um you know she talked about the church being at this city on a hill which i thought was a really clever use of language because you know we we think of that generally really positively as a light shining but actually she was pointing to the inaccessibility of it i think yeah. like from my perspective the church has not been great at all at letting these voices be heard and the 
the strengths that are in this community be shown. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Ruth. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's been really interesting the last year or so. There's so much we can learn from the, dis the disabled community. Um, you know, the, the, the criticism of us all saying, oh, look, we're doing church online for the first time. And there's this whole group of people who've been doing church online for a really long time because that's that has been the option. Um, you know, and that's that I, I find that quite challenging of, of actually there is there are already resources to do this out there because of a community who've had to be creative. Um, and I think, and again, you know, being prepared, I think of people I've known living with cancer who, you know, for a long time have had to be really careful about not catching a cold, about not being around people who are sneezing and coughing because, you know, when you're going through treatment, you're much more vulnerable to that, that kind of thing. And again, like I've learned lots about how to deal with coronavirus from friends who've had to live in that way forever. Um, and I think there are loads of examples like that where we miss out on, on the kind of learning we could be doing just in normal life, um, let alone spiritually. Um, and spiritually, you know, the reliance on God, if you don't know how much energy you're gonna have one day to the next, because actually your body really fluctuates in how much pain you have, you really do have to trust God. Um, you really do have to know that it's, um, you know, it's, it's God at work you know that you're vulnerable. Um, I think it was in Nora's talk that she mentioned the priest who said, you know, he thinks disabled people are the best priests because of never thinking that you're the one making it happen. Um, and also around rest and Sabbath taking as well. I think that's a real challenge. We all need, you know, we're commanded to take a day's rest. We all need rest. Um, but maybe some of us, if we're quite high capacity, can actually keep going for a long time. Um, Whereas if you're someone whose body actually can't do six, seven days of work in a row, um, you have to learn to slow down. And you then observe things in the world, you see God at work, you maybe some of the conversations you have, some of the ways you're allowed, to, you're able to reach out to people can be really transformed by that slower pace of life as well. Um, yeah, so I think there's, there's so much to learn there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you, you, you talk about um, this last year, the pandemic and, um, yeah, I suppose in, in one way, the fact that we've we've discovered Zoom and YouTube and the, the platform of how we we meet together and all that kind of thing is, is diversified in many ways, and has actually as a byproduct included people that were often outcast yeah. in you know the past. I, I wonder yeah. if this is an opportunity that we're in at the moment when we're rediscovering what church should look like and how we should function, um, whether we can correct some of those errors and make sure that as we re-establish things and put plans and things back in place that we we do accommodate those who for re, you know many reasons you know even though we might not have done it intentionally we've we've sidelined certain groups of people um and not accommodated them in the way that we perhaps do church in a building on a sunday morning you know that that kind of regular pattern of, of worship and, and being together i wonder if there's an opportunity now to be creative uh, and in doing so um including those who are marginalized and struggling those with chronic conditions and illnesses those who are uh, housebound etc do, do you think do you think there's some opportunity in the here and now to, to do that yeah absolutely and i think even some really simple ways of um you know why do we um, actually maybe this is too challenging but what, why do you have to stand up to preach you know do we actually do we actually not allow people to 
to be at the front of church and whether it's preaching or giving a testimony or you know whatever it is why is it that you have to be someone who's able to stand up for a long period of time in order to have those kind of roles in church and that's like a really simple one that for lots of people who who are fatigued or who have pain or, or whatever it might be it might be really difficult and actually we've now realized well we can actually we can preach from chairs in our studies so why why not allow things like that to happen um and more creative ways of meeting together um maybe some more, maybe more flexibility um hybrid ways of doing church i think all of those are really kind of interesting things we can be exploring mm. yeah it's really helpful yeah yeah there's a lot to think about there ruth it's uh, it's really challenging actually um but i think there's definitely a at the moment that we find ourselves in now where we're rediscovering who we are and how we do things um you know that is one of the angles i think we should be prioritizing isn't it and there's a lot of things we accept as being normal um and often the things that we normalize are you know often powerful people with i say powerful people with um able bodies people who can stand people who look sound they've got good mental health this is kind of position of, of people with certain you know um certain norms uh, but it'd be brilliant if we could you know break that mold and make church the, the sort of place where anybody can come and preach anybody can come and lead worship and pray and and you know be involved wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to see yeah it would a key element i think in all this is the people that are around us um and just the support that uh, we get. I'm, I'm just thinking of of a group we have in church called Revive, um, where there's two ladies in particular, um, Christine, um, Christine Haig and and, uh, and and Pam. I mean, I think Pam lost her leg maybe when she was only eight or or nine, um, and just the way they're they're kind of not only welcomed into that group, but, but often take the lead. I think I think Judith was telling me that, that Christine was just on Zoom a couple of weeks ago, just sharing about her life and all that Jesus meant to her. And I think Pam Pam did it the week the week before. Because another key point in, in this book, A Resilient Life by Gordon MacDonald, was he talked of the happy few. He said we 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 all have a, a number of friends, depending on how old we are. I'm not talking of Facebook here. I'm talking of face-to-face <laughs> friends. Um, but he says that, that within that group, we have our happy few. And uh, I think for, for Judith and I, when we celebrated our golden wedding huh, five years ago, we, we thought back, we'd been Christians for half a century. So we thought back, and again, the journals helped here, to a significant couple in each decade that had made a difference in our lives. And they were the couple that if we were in distress, we could pick up a, a telephone and, and they'd drop everything, you know, and they'd be there. And MacDonald uses this lovely phrase, that when it's time for us to catch heaven's train, they'll be on the platform, um, which was, you know, a remarkable understanding. And, and yesterday I was privileged to uh, to speak at the funeral of a, of a very dear friend of mine, who in fact, she and her husband were our happy few from the 80s. Um, and let me tell you that Annie 
who's been racked in pain in, 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 with cancer that had erupted uh, almost every bone in, in her body. But the support around her, and I tell you what, if ever there was a girl, a lady, she was in her mid-70s, who finished well, then, again, going back to my athletics coach, he'd say, never run for the tape. Always run for the 10 metres after it. Because if you run for the tape, you'll start slowing just before you hit it. But if you go straight through, if you blast through, and, and, and that's it really. There come a time when we slip the membrane and, and we enter into the, to the joy that's been prepared for us. And uh, so I think, again, it's just folks that, that have such difficulty just making certain, or for others making certain, that they just have happy few around them that will pray into their lives. I mean, one of the things, uh, uh, Fraser and Phil, is that we sent Annie was one of the claim songs that's, that, um, that, that Kezia actually is the main singer and it's Blessed Be The Tide, Blessed Be The Tide that, that brings our hearts together. And that was actually played on the big screen yesterday down in Cardiff. And it was so, it was so spot on um, because it just summarised um, Annie's life, but it also, also just showed you just what Christian family and friendship uh, was all about. Mm. What a fantastic... To, oh, go on, Ray. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess to do that also means we often have to change the way we do things for other people, doesn't it? So, mm. you know, actually, are we ready to slow down to be a happy few for somebody else who might need to live life in a very different way sure. than we do? And I can imagine as, as you get older, you know, are we, are we ready to slow down and, you know, to wait for the memory to come back or to move at a slower pace? Um, and I think in church and, and maybe churches like ours, we can be very, we can be very high capacity people. You know, we want to be really missional. Mm. We want to be reaching people. We want to be, you know, changing the communities around us. And that's all really great. But if we're too high capacity, we can accidentally exclude people because of the pace at which we expect everyone to go. Um, and I guess that's the part of the question, isn't it? Are we ready to, to slow down mm. to be those good friends to people who to use your athletics <laughs> metaphors, Brian, you know, might actually be more suited to doing though that amazing walking racing um, or who, you know, actually need to go for a swim or whatever it might be rather than run at the pace that we run at. Um, yeah, it, it, all of this, what you said, Ruth, and what you said, Brian, just made me think of that story of the paralysed man and just the sheer tenacity of those friends just to make Jesus accessible um, in whatever way they can to just be like barrier breakers, um, willing to just go that extra mile just so this person can meet with God. And I think that's such a challenge to the church um, to be those friends to each other because um, we all have different struggles and we all have different things that we're going through. You know, no one's whole. Um, and just to be that that community that's willing to knock the ceiling in just so that one of us can have that opportunity to be touched by God is just such an incredible um, mm. place to round up, I think, this conversation. 
Um, it's been so great having all of you um, contributing to this conversation around body. It's just been a fantastic module and um, a real challenge, I think, to everyone at All Saints who's listening in um, to continue to think about all of this and to continue to think about how we can um, look at barriers to people um, engaging with church and also um, think around this whole idea of our bodies and aging and what that means. But overall, I think it's it's encouraging because there are things we can do and there are things that um, that God has in store for us as we move forward beyond this whole COVID situation. So thank you again, guys. Uh, we're going to say goodbye. And I hope that those who are listening have an amazing week and are really blessed through what you've heard today. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope God blessed you through that conversation. And a particular thank you to our guests who gave their time and wisdom to make it happen. If you have been affected by anything that has been talked about during this episode, please know that pastoral support is available through our website. Subscribe and follow our podcast to receive all of our updates. But most importantly, we pray you have a great week.